Where are you? Uh, we're at the practice ring. In Sudbury. Community complex. Yeah, that's where Letterkenny's filmed. Coming to you from the home of Letterkenny. What we want to do is go inside, rip a couple of snap bombs, and then go home. Just want to rip some snaps and bear some claps, Tannis. Hack some limbs and rack some pins. Lay beats and fill seats. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. So Farzi, I wanted to start this podcast because I got a few, a bit of feedback from our last one. Are we too sensitive? We sometimes are critical of the OHL about being too sensitive. Are we too sensitive ourselves? I think it's possible. Actually, after going through the ordeal we went through a week ago, it was happening in real time. We had just heard about the OHL's official podcast. We had just listened to it for the first time, and we heard what we perceived to be a snub. But I get it. If somebody wants to say, hey, guys, you don't have to be so butthurt about not getting name-dropped in the OHL's official podcast, you can get over it. I, I would accept the criticism that maybe we are. We should just focus on what we do best. Yeah, I'm going to accept it. I'm not sure it. what that is, but we should focus on it. <laughs> I don't know what I do best. Um, I, I was told we were too negative. We were too negative. Did Dave Branch send you an email? No, no. I got feedback from a couple people, uh, frequent listeners, that said, why, are you so, why were you so negative on the last podcast? One person even told me they had to turn it off. Because it was so negative. Because it was so negative, yeah. And I just thought, are we being... Are we being too sensitive with because, oh, and a podcast didn't mention us? It got me thinking. That's yeah. all. I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would take that criticism uh, yeah. in the spirit with which it's intended. Maybe, maybe we are. Maybe, like I said, we just focus on talking about the Ontario Hockey League and traveling around it like we do. I was going to say, we, we know where we stand, and we'll show you where we stand. So there you go. with that being said, you're up in Sudbury right now. Shut up. This <laughs> is not an area you want to go right now. Why? Let's go there. Because most of us on the team are on a three-day road trip to play one game in the Sioux. Yeah. Others I'm... are back in the cozy confines of Rogers Kitchener Radio. Listen, as Josh Brown reached out to me and said, enjoy the Munoz, and then with an expletive because he missed it. And I said, actually, I'm not up there. I'm at home because of food poisoning. <laughs> and... I said, I never thought I'd say I'd rather be on an eight-hour bus ride for a midweek game in Sault Ste. Marie, but I really wish I was right now because that's how great I felt. I'll tell you what. There are some simple rules to what we do, Pope. The rule, the first rule of anything we do is not to screw up. One of the other top five rules for sure is to never eat Mexican the night before a road trip. <laughs> so I don't know what you were thinking and where you got the bad chow, but I'll say this. The trip up on Tuesday, maybe it's because it's the daytime travel. Maybe it's because I finally entered the modern age and had some television episodes downloaded from Netflix. Oh, you did? Finally. Nice. I finally got up with the uh, modern technology and stuff. I had to get my kid to help me, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, it it passed the time. And then the stop at Caruso's in Sudbury for dinner on the way there. It felt like, honestly, a breeze on Tuesday. Then, of course, we have the day on Wednesday to prepare for the game Wednesday night. I grabbed a guy from Rogers Radio North to help out on the broadcast. He did just fine. But then we got back on the bus right after the game and drove down to Sudbury, and I felt like we had traveled 20 hours. It was incredible. We got into Sudbury about 2.30 this morning as I'm talking to you, and then uh, 
got up and came over here to the community center for practice before we hit the road and come back home to catch. Yeah, I, I at least I showed up to the rink. I was ready to hop on that bus. You were. You, I, I manned up. I was not feeling great. I will tell you that, and that's an understatement. But uh, I was still ready to at least hop on the hop on the iron lung for twenty hours of travel with food poisoning. Wasn't looking forward to the frequent marches to the back and the uncomfortable situations that would have followed. However, I at least manned up. I will also say that in your absence, and it might have been part of the method to my madness in saying you're not getting on the bus in your condition. I had the seat to myself, buddy. Yeah. I'm living in the lap of luxury up here. Isn't that isn't that the way it works, eh? The one the one time you tell me that I'm going to get the inside seat, I end up getting sick. I think it was all planned. Well, next year, there's always next year, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How was the Munoz? The food up there? You know what? The media room in Sault Ste. Marie, as you and I have talked about, is top five in the league, and they did not disappoint as usual. I thought as I filled my plate that I would eat that salad alone. Whatever it is with the banana peppers in it and the uh, vinaigrette dressing, is just it's just terrific stuff. And the homemade donuts were there again. I didn't go after any. I didn't even cut one in half. It was all I could do to resist, but I resisted. Uh I don't blame you there, to be honest. I, I could eat that salad, too. And then you got, afterwards, you got treated to a pretty good hockey game by the looks of a Kitchener with a comeback. Um, I, I think the storyline of last, I, we're recording this Thursday uh, before you head back here to Kitchener, but is the story not of last night the phenom that is Shane Wright? Oh, it absolutely is. Now at 30 goals on the season. And when I saw that number, I had to do a bit of a double take. Obviously, the Frontenacs pick up a win over the Peterborough Peets, which is huge. Huge. But two more goals for Wright, up to 30. And if you'll remember, we have a rookie in Kitchener, Francesco Pinelli, that early in the season was right up there with the leaders in terms of goals scored. He had six in his first six games in this league. And you're looking at a guy that we're seeing every night thinking, oh, he's finding this game pretty easy. It was Mason McTavish. It was Oliver Suni. It was Francesco Pinelli. And, of course, Shane Wright's in the mix early on. But it was a slow start, so I, I looked at it today. He only had seven goals in his first 17 – or, pardon me, six goals in his first 17 games. That means he's got 24 in his last 27. Yeah, I broke it so down for – that in. I broke it down for when he went to the U-17s. I broke it down last night. Five goals in 14 games before the U-17s, and then 25 in 30 since returning. That's a 56-goal yeah. pace over 68 games. For a guy that just turned 16 last month. He turned 16 one month and one day ago from the time of this yeah. recording. He is going to be incredible to watch in this league in <laughs> two more years. It's so the, the part that blows my mind, and I thought about this last night, and I was going to tweet it along with the breakdown of goals, but I wanted, I wanted to save it for the podcast. Where did, where did he go in the draft again, Mike? Uh, first overall, he was the exceptional player. And who picked second? That's a great... Who cares? The uh, Flint who Firebirds. Wow. Imag- remember Kingston beat out Flint late... Or Flint beat That's Kingston right. in a game late in the year and basically shot themselves in the foot and was good down the stretch, giving Kingston the pick. Imagine if Shane Wright would have went to Flint this year and was playing alongside the likes of Durham and Delandria. Forget about it. That's because it's funny you mentioned that because I was giving some thought to the Kingston teams 
of late, particularly after the Max Domi to London situation where Doug Gilmore took his buddy's kid knowing he wouldn't report so he could reap the rewards of all of those uh, compensatory picks. And and Kingston built itself a team, and and you thought, boy, this is going to be a team that's finally going to break through in Kingston, and of course it didn't. And a couple of years ago when they loaded up again, you thought, okay, here's a team that's going to do it, and it didn't. Now I'm wondering if they can finally, because obviously they've got the, the main piece that they need in this player that's living up to the definition of exceptional. I wonder if this is finally the go-round in the cycle for the Kingston Frontenacs where they can crack through. I feel like it all, you almost have to, no? When you get a player well, like this, it kind of forces your hand. Whether you like it or not, he's going to make people around him better, like Zade Wisdom and, and Co. Um, up, up in Kingston. He's going to make those players better, and he's going to basically force your hand to build a team around him. But if you can't do it when Jason Robertson is on your team, when are you going to? Right? That's, that's they, like, fair. Again, yeah, they've had Roland McHugh and you go back to the previous era, right, before Robertson and the, you know, loading up with Max Jones and company. Mm-hmm. So you, they, they've, they've, they've shot their shot a couple of times and haven't come through. So I don't dispute that this is a very special, the beginning of a very special era, but, you know, once bitten, twice shy when it comes to the front next. I'm with you. I think that, uh, as, as you said, they've certainly went for it. They just haven't busted through. I think it's certainly going to force their – you look at this and you think this kid is, as they said, exceptional. It is time now to build around – I'm going to change that. The time is right to build around Shane Wright. Well played. And listen, I want nothing but the best for that franchise, which has been on the outside looking and knocking on that door and not being able to crash through it. I love the city. I love our buddy Jimmy Kilchrist up there, who's the dean of the Ontario Hockey League and has been for decades now. They deserve it. I, I wish the fans would go out and see the games, but maybe as Wright is there for the next few years, they kind of come to realize, well, the next two years anyway, they kind of come to realize how special what they have right now is, and they get out there and support that club. I want to see them do it. I really do. Uh, some other league news. It's what we are recording this on February 6th and the Ottawa 67s have clinched a playoff spot. (laughs) Listen, the Ottawa 67s are a good hockey club. Let's make no mistake about that. I spoke with Sioux captain Ryan O'Rourke before the game last night in the Sioux because the Hounds had just come back from the Eastern Swing, and they went through Peterborough, then Kingston Thursday, Friday, Ottawa on the Sunday. Just imagine that. We complain about the two eight-hour trips we have to make every year from Kitchener up to Sault Ste. Marie. And Sault Ste. Marie, I know it's only one time, but all the way to Ottawa, you got to be pushing 10 hours on that trip. It's a little bit ridiculous. Anyway, and I said, you, you just saw them up close. How good are the Ottawa 67s? And, and they are a very good hockey club. They're a very well-rounded hockey club. It starts in goal and goes right up to the forward lines. But I will say this again. Clinching a playoff spot at the beginning of February says as much about the Eastern Conference and the bottom feeders as it does about the Ottawa 67s. I'll allow that, I guess. Um, Sorry, was that too negative? No. (laughs) No, I just don't want to take anything away from what they're doing because regardless of, you look, even the Peterborough Peets, the Oshawa Generals, there are teams in that conference that, can be tough to play. Mississauga has turned it on as of late. Eight wins in their last ten. But yes, it is the Ottawa 67s and everybody, but I still feel when you look at their winning percentage of 
8-4-8. So that's 85% of the time they're winning hockey games. There's only one other team in this Ontario Hockey League that is in the 700s. And they're at 8-48. That is just downright impressive. It is a team that had the taste last year. We spoke with Andre Turigny, their head coach, earlier this year on a previous episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast. By the way, email us anytime, farwellandpope at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. If we're too sensitive, if we're too negative, <laughs> give us any kind of feedback you want to give us. Popers on Twitter, at underscore Chris Pope, and I'm on Twitter, at farwell underscore OHL. But when we talked to Turing then, and this was back in, what, October? You could tell that there was that sense of unfinished business. We've talked to James Boyd before, the general manager up there. By the way, kudos to him and the, the nod with Hockey Canada. They're getting a good guy in getting some support and expertise from uh, James Boyd within the Hockey Canada program. But this, this team was, was ready last year, and if I can put it this way, they're more ready this year. They came into the season on a mission, and, and they're absolutely delivering on that. Andre Turney, one of many OHL members that uh, will be representing our country at next year's World Junior Hockey Championship. He was recently named head coach of the team after playing as an assistant this year under Dale Hunter, obviously winning gold. Uh, another member of that gold medal winning team, Aiden Dudas. We had a chance to catch up with Aiden and talk about his experience overseas representing Team Canada at the World Juniors. Going back, this last month and a half has been a pretty good one in the life of Aiden Dudas, a gold medal, and signing the uh, the entry level deal. Take me back to when you put your name on that paper. What was it like? Uh, yeah, I remember on Christmas Day. Actually, my agent texted me and said that uh, LA wants to sign me, and we're sending you the contract over. So, um, you know, get it signed and, and sent back to us as quick as you can. And I was pretty excited. <laughs> it was a pretty good Christmas present for me. So, um, obviously, it was. Uh, Exciting time for me, and you know, to be there with you know the guys around me with Team Kendo was pretty cool as well. Get that signed and sent over as quick as possible. I imagine that might have been signed pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> what, what was the emotions like when you're sitting there and they're sending it over your families, obviously around, and, and you're signing your first NHL deal? Uh, yeah, actually, my family wasn't there just yet. They uh, they came a day later, but they uh, you know were texting me obviously and couldn't wait to see me and um, obviously it feels incredible to you know finally sign that deal and you know I was working really hard to you know sign that deal and you know get a contract so um, to you know get that weight off my shoulders um, it feels really good any uh, cool first purchases <laughs> actually I haven't got my money yet it, t- it takes a little while so uh, we'll be, I was still waiting for that anything planned then uh, no, I, I don't know. I'm maybe a new suit. Yeah, maybe a new suit. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, as I mentioned, you know, being there with Team Canada right after you signed that deal, what was more or what was um, what was a bigger moment for you, winning or the contract? Oh, winning gold for sure. Uh, it's nothing like that. Um, I can't really describe how it feels. Um, it was incredible, you know, full month with uh, – you know, 22, 22 other guys that, you know, we all came together and, you know, you know, we still chat today, you know, in our group chat and stuff. And, you know, they're all great guys. And, you know, to win it by their sides and, um, you know, by with the great coaches as well that we had, it was, uh, it was the best experience of my life. How difficult is it to come together with some of those guys? Because there was a lot of guys from this Midwestern uh, Conference here, or Midwestern Division, that you guys play each other quite a bit. There's some arch nemesis, and then you guys have to come together with those guys. 
Yeah, I think uh, people think it's harder than it is, and when you're a hockey player, and you know all the hockey people out there would understand that that. You know, when you're in the room, it's so much different than when you're on the ice battling against each other. So, um, you know, everybody are, are great guys, and everybody got along really well. Dale Hunter, what was it like to play under him? Uh, yeah, he's a very smart coach. He doesn't talk too much. He kind of um, he doesn't want to be the coach that is always harping at everyone. He knows, uh, you know, what players can play in what situations, and um, you know, he just calls them out and tells them when to go. Pretty much, obviously, he uh, you know says what he needs to, but he never goes overboard. You were just battling an injury right as the, the pre-camp started. How tough was it to battle through that during that time? Yeah, it was really tough. I actually broke my hand in this rink uh, last time I played here. <laughs> broke it, so um, it was really bad timing for me, and um, I I didn't uh, you know know what to think going into the camp. It was you know freshly broken, and I was hoping Hockey Canada would still take me along and and. Uh, you know, see how quickly it heals, and they act, I actually didn't skate at all at the you know the pre-tournament showcase, and um, you know they kept me around with the team till the I think it was the 19th where I first skated with the team, and that was our first exhibition game, and um, they waited to see how it felt, and it uh, felt good, and that's when they made their last cut and sent someone home for me. Fast forwarding to the actual tournament when you guys got blown out by Russia, you obviously bounced back, but what was the mood like after that loss? Um, I think it, I think in a tournament like that, you have to, you know, not hang your head. And I think the biggest thing for us was it, it grounded us a little bit. And, you know, we were coming off a, you know, a big win against uh, the Americans. And um, it showed us that, you know, it's not going to be an easy ride. And um, it, it, it humbled us, um, I'd say, a lot. And, um, you know, thankful for that loss because, uh, you know, it brought us together more as a team probably wasn't much said ahead of that gold medal game with a chance at redemption eh <laughs> yeah no we we knew what we had to do coming back here two on sound what do you take away from that experience to bring to this attack team um i think the biggest thing that i take away is uh you know just playing with pace every night um you know all the best players um from around the country all play with pace and play with speed and um I think that's just the biggest thing. If you can play with speed every night, and um, you don't always have to be the skill player on your team, it's just you know you got to play with pace and um, keep your feet moving, pretty much. And you know it'll open stuff up for you and, and for your teammates. Just going back real quickly with Lafreniere and Byfield both on that team, what was it like watching those two in practice, thinking and in, even in the game, thinking these are probably one, two in the upcoming draft? Yeah, it's uh, it was cool to watch them, and you know they're both only 17 years old and. Um, you know they're both incredible players, and they both bring um, you know different attributes to to the table. And um, it, it was fun watching them, and especially Lafreniere with the tournament he had. He was he was great to watch. And obviously Byfield didn't have the tournament he wanted, but he's still an incredible player, and um, I'm sure he'll finish the OHL season strong. Almost makes you seem like you're old. Aiden. It was just a couple <laughs> of years ago you were 17 in this league, now a captain of this hockey club. What's that mean to you? Yeah, it's a huge honor to, you know, captain a team. And um, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is um, when I'm down, I can't let other guys get down as well. And being a captain, you have to, you know, be there for your whole team. And it's not just about yourself anymore. It's about the whole team. And um, that's something I got to, you know, keep getting better at is, um, you know, if I get down, I still have to lift others up. And, um, 
I've been working on that, and obviously, it's uh, you're not going to be the best. You're not going to be the best captain, right? When you get it, you, you got to you know work on it. So, been doing my best, and uh, hopefully, we can finish the season strong. Nice chat you had there, Popper, with Aiden Dudas when the Owentown attack were in Kitchener last weekend. You mentioned just before we went into that interview, Andre Turney, the assistant under Dale Hunter. Something we haven't yet touched on, and I just want to drive by you here, kind of unscripted, but. The head coach, the gold medal winning coach of that world junior team, Dale Hunter, now having reached the 800 career coaching wins milestone in the Ontario Hockey League. And I got I to ask you the question. I'm going to put you on the spot right here, right now. Okay. 800 wins. The world junior gold that he just achieved. Two Memorial Cups. Yes. Those, are you saying yes because you know what my question is going to be already? Yes. <laughs> Hall of Fame numbers, aren't they? 100%. Brian Kilray is in the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder. Granted, the win totals are still almost 400 better at 1193 to Hunter's 800. But the Memorial Cup championships match, and Brian Kilray finished fourth at the World Juniors. Dale Hunter just won the World Junior gold. He's going to coach more. He's going to creep closer to that 1193 who knows if maybe one day he surpasses it or he goes back to the national hockey league but even as it stands right now with his record and what he's been able to achieve even outside the ontario hockey league i think dale hunter has got to be in the conversation for the hockey hall of fame i'm right with you i i think there isn't a shadow of a doubt and we talked about this a bit um on our on our actual broadcast uh just because of what he's done not only when it comes to winning hockey games, yes, that's great, and that's the purpose of being a coach. But what he's done in building up the London Knights, say whatever you want about the organization, everybody knows about the London Knights. They are there each and every year. The success has been there. He has one losing season since taking over uh, as head coach under the London Knights. Let that sink in for a second. One losing season. One season under 500 that is absolutely bonkers to think about and i think just what he's done in turning that organization around from when he and mark took over uh i think is unbelievable um and when you look since 0102 is when he took over he coached 50 games behind the bench he had a winning percentage of 440 that's the last time he's been under 529. And that's just another point of comparison. The one losing season in almost 20 now behind the bench there in London. In all of the years Brian Kilray coached, only six losing seasons with the Ottawa 67s, which is ridiculous in this league when you think about it. The cycle catches up to you every now and again, unless I guess you're Brian Kilray or Dale Hunter, but I, I firmly believe the guy has got to be getting some consideration even now as the build uh, in the builder category for the hockey hall of fame. I'm right with you. And I will, I, he has my vote hands down as a walk-in as, as a walk-in. How many times do you think he's missed the playoffs? Uh, just that one time, I think. Yeah. The first two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The first two. Yeah. yeah. Not no, bad. His thing. first take. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He took over in the first year from Lindsay Hofford, and then the first full year he was head coach. Uh, but he's still a 529 winning percentage. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible what he's been able to do. And the culture change also 
is is rather remarkable. Dale Hunter, of course, among the other nods, is a an OHL coach of the year in his past as well. There's been an interesting conversation going around with coach of the year this year. And Trevor Latowski, even though the winds are spitfires right now, there's is, is, has the bubble finally burst at the two-thirds mark? I'd hate to see it because they've been a fun story. But for my money, coming into even just this week and the little blip that the Spitfires are are suffering right now, uh, Latowski would be your almost your sure bet as the OHL Coach of the Year. But some people have stopped me, and I'm not the one bringing it up. And they say, hang on, what about the guy for the team that you cover? Interim head coach, Mike McKenzie, 28 games into his time behind the bench and just two regulation losses i think he's right there uh that bubble seems to have mini burst for windsor or at least they're in a tiny bit of a slump here uh with just four wins in their last five losers of three straight um i still think they can get back to where they were or at least back to their winning ways i think it is definitely between trevor latowski mike mckenzie and i i hate to go back to it but an 848 winning percentage, man. Andre Turney has to be in the mix there. They've lost seven games all year. Yeah, that, of course he does. That's ludicrous. Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but I also think there's a right answer. And you don't go from worst to first without having, you know, a change in direction and a change in uh, philosophy and everything. And I think, yeah, at this point, I don't know how you don't give it to Mike McKenzie. Really? That's bold. I mean, it's still, by the time he's done, he'll be just over half a season as a head coach. You think that's enough to warrant the award? When you take, yeah, I don't know. Well, I only say that because as we like, we expect Windsor to be phenomenal next year. They were built for next year. Absolutely. Um, Right. And they came out like a buzzsaw. Obviously, this the way the West is right now, um, if you have a mini streak one way or the other, you move a lot in the standings. Um, and Windsor, with 22 games left, is sitting fourth. I expect them to probably be in that area. Can you give a fourth-place hockey club coach of the year? I guess maybe. Well, yeah, it's interesting. That's what I, I think... I guess what we're getting at here is it's going to be a pretty compelling race. There are three solid options that we've just talked about, and and who knows others that we may be overlooking at this point. But Heck, who, who, you, knows you what, think. who knows what happens here in the next 20 games? George Burnett might be up there. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, I'm going to go on the record and saying I doubt that. Here's the So the, the Guelph Storm lose 10 straight games, blowing everybody's mind in this league, right? The team that was in first place at the trade deadline essentially stands fat, had a 10-game winning streak earlier in the season, and so on and so forth. They lose 10 straight games, then they go north and finally right the ship, and George Burnett pulled the Pete DeBoer. That's what I like to call it, because back in the day when Pete DeBoer was the head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, the last northern road trip of the season, the Rangers always seemed to go north to end the year. He would always stay back in Kitchener, say he had to quote-unquote scout so George Burnett did not make the trip with the team when they went north and got back on the winning track. I'm just going to put that out there. I love George, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? <laughs> That's phenomenal is what it is. <laughs> you guys go, we're in the middle of a slump, I'm not coming with you, and then the team wins. Maybe they felt a little more freedom without George there. 
Maybe they did. Um, you, you got to see the Rangers last night. Obviously, I didn't. But over the last couple of games, has the has the gold rubbed off of Mike McKenzie as of late? Going into last night, they were losers of two or three, and they really had to hold on late and come back against the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds team that's on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, we, we talked about that a little bit uh, on our pregame show. You can look at the Rangers going into last night. You know, if the glass is half empty, yeah, they're losers of two of their past three. If the glass is half full, they had lost only two times in regulation through 27 games. I think you still have to look at this. And now, of course, it's two regulation losses in 28 games with the win last night in the suit. I think you have to look at this at the macro level and not the micro level. And I'm going to go back, and you can call it excuse-making if you want, but I, I don't just say it for the Kitchener Rangers. I say it for every team around this league. The Windsor Spitfires would be in that mix with the, the little blip they're suffering through right now. We saw the London Knights go through it, although different reasons, I think, with McMichael and Foodie and Hunter all the way. Anyway, I, I think there are dog days for this season, Popper. I think the teams, all of them across the board, are kind of in them. The very best of the teams rise above and find ways, even in the dog days. But I think there's just something to be said for being at this point in the season, uh, adding some pieces like Mike McKenzie did at the trade deadline and having Sarah Noel kind of in and out. The team still plays very well most nights. We've seen stinkers of periods, maybe a stinker of a game in the 28 under Mike McKenzie. I don't think the bloom has come off the rose completely. I think what you're seeing is that, especially in this Western Conference, there are some quality, quality hockey clubs, and Flint, I'll throw in there, is very much among them. Um, I'm right with you in all of that. Talking about the Sioux Greyhounds, I was looking at their roster ahead of the game last night. Well, I was attempting not to throw up. And uh, I really like their team for next year. A lot of 19-year-olds next year. Um, But I think the big question mark for me, and one I didn't get answered because I didn't get to uh, watch the game in person, is their goaltending. Nick Malik, uh, Merrick's son, came over in the import draft, just reported, uh, I think it was last month or maybe late December. Uh, Getting your first glimpse of him, what did you think? Uh, I was not impressed, but it's one game, one glimpse, right? He's highly touted, obviously, having come over from the World Juniors playing with the Czech Republic at the Juniors over Christmas and was their first-round pick, obviously, last year in the import draft. And he's highly touted as a goaltending prospect coming into this year's NHL draft. So it's probably uh, unfair on just the one viewing, although I would like to also just give a shout-out to the city of Sault Ste. Marie and the Greyhounds. They've got a billboard for Malik right outside the arena. Welcome to our newest player. I think that's awesome. The kid must love it as he goes to the rink every day and sees his image on that billboard right outside the arena. I think just for me, last night, there were a couple of times, one in particular, where uh, just little mental things, the decision-making, where one play in particular where he could have and should have covered the puck and didn't kept play alive, dishing off to his defenseman. The Hounds end up being hemmed in their zone, and the Rangers score what I believe in that case was the game-tying goal. I can't be sure off the top of my head. But anyway, just things like that. He didn't, he didn't blow my socks off, although neither goalie really does in a, in a 5-4 final. But one viewing, uh, I can't say that he lived up to the hype, but all I've heard is the hype, and I only got to see him for the first time last night. There's always a lot of hype around this Sioux Greyhounds Hockey Club, Mike. Only one Memorial Cup to show for it. Four trips. Our premier guest on this Farwell and Pope podcast has three Memorial Cup championships. 
Not bad for a kid that still isn't 30. He's also played in the NHL and now a head coach in the Ontario Hockey League for the resurgent Flint Firebirds. Here is Eric Wellwood. Before we talk about coming to coach here in Flint, we got to talk about that junior career and the back-to-back Memorial Cups. I wonder, Eric, when you come into that 29-2010 season after you've won one already, was there a sense with that Spitfires team that this was a title that could be defended? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we were built for that year. Um, I think it was a bit of a surprise that we won the year before that season started. So, um, you know, we had a lot of confidence in ourselves that we were going to be able to win back-to-back. You had, I, we were looking at stats, 60-30 goal scorers on that team. Not a bad club, I guess, when your top two lines are burying 30-plus. You were one of those uh, guys. What was the mood like around that team? Was it the confidence going into every game that this is our year? Well, I think everybody accepted their roles. I mean, I was a guy that never played on the power play once in four years in junior. Um, and I was a penalty killer shutdown guy. And I accepted that role. And I was able to contribute offensively as well. But I think that's maybe due to the players I was able to play with. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everybody had... Uh, uh, we pushed each other in everything, and that just doesn't mean uh, during the game or during practice. I mean, if we played a video game, it was ultra-competitive. If we played anything, it was to the max. And I think uh, when you grow up in that type of environment, you know, you're, you get that confidence that you can win at anything, and you have that mentality, and uh, you get that competitiveness up. And I think that's one, team, one thing that that team had. It was uh, an abundance of, of competitors. A lot of people in Kitchener, Eric, remember that 2010 Western Conference Final. The Rangers up 3-0 on the spits. The newspaper writer in Windsor famously says, it's over. What was the team feeling at that point? Those were the only three games you ended up losing the entire playoff run, including Memorial Cup. But when you're down three Cobb and even your own media is writing you off, what's going through the heads? Um, well, I, I, if you look back at the games, I don't think, I think the first game, I think we outshot them by 25 or 30 shots or something like that. And they had scored a goal that ended up being the game winner with like under two minutes to go from the red line as a dump in. And it was just seemed to be one of those, those three games where it just didn't go our way. Now, got to give credit to Kitchener as well, especially Skinner was outstanding uh, during that season <laughs> or that series. But um, we had full confidence that we were going to come back. And maybe that's just the young arrogance that we had at that. <laughs> time i mean uh, if i put myself in those shoes now i don't know if i'd have the same amount of confidence but uh it was just one of those things where we knew we had so much belief in that room that uh, we were going to come back played with quite a few players that went on to the national hockey league on those two teams an astonishing 16 players including yourself um obviously the big name taylor hall what was it playing with what was it like playing with a guy like that well, again, when I, when I spoke earlier about the competitiveness, uh, he's an ultra competitor. Uh, and it was great to watch it as somebody that has that much skill, but he works so hard. And, and you know, when you got a superstar like that leading the way as far as work ethic, I think it's you just follow. Um, it's obviously something special that you are able to see, see him play on, uh, at the National League now and tell all the boys that I'm coaching currently that, uh, <laughs> you know, that we're buddies and stuff. But, uh, yeah, he was a special player and a special kid. You had your taste, too, and even though it was cut short by injury, Eric, uh, first NHL tuck against Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm sure it was bar down, backhand cheese. How did it go? (laughs) That's exactly how it went. (laughs) The boys actually just played in a room the other night uh, because they were laughing about it because I was just on the neutral zone regroup. I was just, you know, defending, and I kept pushing their defenseman back and there was the puck was laying there after a turnover and I just fire procured it in I had no idea that it shouldn't have gone in really in the, in the grand scheme of things but uh it's always special when it did go in yeah definitely you still have the puck yeah I believe so I 
not sure where it's at. I, my, I'm not very good with my stuff. <laughs> I don't think I have a single hockey thing in my house right now. Really? Yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, I, it's my job, it's my life. So it's, you know, when you go home, you like to make sure that it's just, uh, you can get away from hockey. <laughs> you got away from hockey for a bit when you went out west to uh, go into business with your brother and a bunch of other people. What brought you back? Well, they called me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something here for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to come back. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting to get into the business that my brother and I uh, ended up getting into with our Head Check Health. Um, and, and we're now at a point with that business where you don't need me there day to day. Um, you know, I was just helping business development, meaning making connections, try to grow the company. Um, but then I got into, I was back in Windsor and coaching with the Lancers, just wanted to give back to the community and coach three games there. And then uh, the Flint job obviously opened up and uh, they gave me a call and then here I am now. <laughs> Real quick, before you went out west for that business venture, uh, you won another Memorial Cup as an assistant coach. How did you become an assistant coach with yeah, that, with that yeah, Oshawa that, club? That's a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I had just retired. I didn't know what my next steps were. I was contemplating perhaps going into firefighting. Um, my mom's a firefighter. Uh, my brother-in-law's a firefighter. My dad was one, so it's, it runs in the family. Um, so I didn't really know what I was going to do, so I went to this local bar that we, uh, you know, all the hockey guys go to in, in Decumsey, Ontario. It's called Johnny Shots. And uh, when I walked in, DJ was there, DJ Smith, and he said, there's my new assistant coach, and, <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> how, how, many, how many deep was DJ when he made that comment? Yeah, maybe only one. For, okay, for, okay. for his sake, only one. This makes me think of something I should have brought up earlier. Asked You mentioned going back to Windsor and coaching with the Lancers, but Windsor, boy, back-to-back championships with your hometown team. That's got to be pretty special stuff. What was that feeling like for you as a kid, obviously growing up watching that team in that community, winning championships there? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, going into the draft, it's a little bit funny. I think uh, at that age, I don't say I didn't want to play for Windsor. I definitely wanted to. I didn't I didn't expect that I was going to, but I was kind of looking forward to perhaps maybe going to somewhere else so I could move away. <laughs> and see, the world, it, yeah. see the world a little yeah. bit, uh, but obviously that didn't happen, but thank God it didn't happen. And and to be able to, you know, to win it in your hometown is obviously something special. I think there's a, a Windsor pride that a lot of people that come from Windsor have. Uh, you know, it's not a, a very big community, but it's a community that, you know, prides itself on hard work and, and that blue-collar type of town, and, and I'm proud to be from there. So to be able to, to win a championship there and give them something to celebrate is something obviously I'll cherish for the rest of my life. I'm sure you'll cherish the win against them the other night. You guys put a whooping on them. <laughs> um, i got to ask, and this is away from hockey, but you're talking about Windsor. I, for one, have a favorite pizza spot in Windsor. Oh. What is your favorite go-to pizza spot in Windsor? You could, Jeez, you only so could get one more pie. Hey, one more. <laughs> Which one is it? I got to give it to Armando's. Is that's mine? Yeah, Armando's. Okay. I got. Usually when I call, they already know it's my name and number, and so <laughs> they know the order. <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing to admit, but Popper took us. What was it, Dent? Antoninos. 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 That's a good spot, right? too. After very, our last game in Windsor, yeah. here's two broadcasters on yeah. the drive home down the 401 crushing a pie each. Yeah. <laughs> Not proud, yeah. but damn, yeah. that's good. Oh, there's something to be said about <laughs> Windsor pizza. I always tell people, I don't know what it is, but like you can't get a, get a bad pie in Windsor. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It really is. Um, we talked about your NHL career. It obviously cut short by a serious injury. Um, when you're skating off the ice there and, and you, you're losing blood out of your, your leg, what's going through your mind? 
Well, I didn't really know I was cut. You know, I knew I was hurt. Um, I was killing a penalty. Yeah. I went into the boards, and obviously when I got up, I didn't feel so good. Uh, so I skated off to the bench and sat down and called the trainer over, and uh, John Sims was sitting next to me, uh, old Sarnia Sting. I think his jersey's in the rafters, actually. Uh, so he, he said, well, you're bleeding. I looked down. I said, oh, this ain't good. Use some choice words. Obviously not going <laughs> to use those words here, but... Uh, then the trainer and I had to get off the ice. We had to skate off the ice, actually, while the play was going on. Uh, Jason Akison, a former Ranger, actually had a breakaway on the penalty kill uh, and actually scored, but it was disallowed because not too many men, but there's an emergency, obviously, and we had to skate off to where the Zamboni was or uh, to where the ambulance was and uh, uh, we'll get everything under control. Um, you know that the things aren't right. Do you know you're dying? Uh, maybe it's, you got that sense a little bit. Um, but there's you, you got trust and faith that the people in the medical staff know what they're doing, and thank God they did. <laughs> in spite of it, and in spite of how scary that is, how tough is it to give up the dream, Eric? Well, you don't really have a choice, so I think you just roll with it, and you know that's the way I've lived my life. I mean, I, I wasn't the easiest path that I took to get to the NHL. As far as you know, I wasn't a high OHL draft drafty guy. Um, I had to work for everything I ever got. Like I mentioned earlier, I never played on the power play. I played 15 minutes a night, you know, on the high end. And even when I made it to the NHL, I just had to work for everything. And um, you know, you just take life as what it gives you. Um, it wasn't like I said. It took me two seconds after I realized that I was retired. It's on to the next thing. Um, hockey's hockey's hockey. It's just a game to me. You know, um, you know that at some point it was going to end anyways. So now you get to do something else. Player in Windsor, you just talked about how you were a penalty killer, never played power play, 30 tucks in the O, not a big deal. Late round pick to the NHL, you eventually make the NHL, not a big deal. Career cut short, now you're head coach of a revamped Flint Firebirds team that's really turning a lot of heads, so to speak. Did you ever picture yourself here? Like, you're not even 30 yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> couple months. A couple months, I'll be 30. Did I? Oh, I don't. Obviously, I think at this point in my life, I thought I'd still be playing hockey. Yeah. You know, they used to tell my teachers that uh, they always said, you know, you should put some more emphasis on your on your school. And I'd always say, well, school is always there. I could always go back to school. I always picture myself being in an NHL or um, to get into coaching. I had no idea. You heard the story earlier about how I got into it. Um, I didn't go and look for it. And to be honest, every job that I've ever gotten as a coach, I've never applied for it. It just seems yeah. to have come my way. And um, maybe life's put me on a trajectory that, uh, you know, to be a coach, um, certainly we're happy with the way things are going here in Flint, and hopefully they continue. Not to dwell on it, but the numbers don't lie. A dismal season last year, but you're on pace this year to double that win total of a season ago and establish a new franchise mark for wins here in Flint. What's been the secret to the turnaround? <sighs> That's a good question. If I knew, Coaching. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. I think we got some good players here. I don't know what the secret is, to be honest. People ask me that often. Um, you know, I, I know from my standpoint, I try to make it fun for the kids to come to the rink every day. And if you're ever in uh, one of our meetings, you know, after a game or at any time, it's always joking on the joking around, and guys like to come to the rink. And you know, I, I think uh, there's so much pressure on these kids. You know, whether it's from their agents, whether it's from their parents whether it's trying to get drafted to the NHL, make it to the NHL, that um, I know it's my job to help them get there, but at the same time, it's still a game, and you got to have fun having playing this game, and if you're not having fun, you're not going to really enjoy your experience. So, um, you know, I think keeping it light and making sure that the boys enjoy coming every day. We know you got to get going here shortly. I just want to ask, you've played under some pretty big coaches, Peter Laviolette in Philly. We talked about DJ, Bob Bugner, Bob Jones. Who are you most alike? 
none of them. <laughs> I'll take two yeah. of the above. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, I think I'm a unique coach because uh, obviously if you look at me, I still get ID'd when I go to the beer store. So um, I'm pretty young and, and I, I don't have a big big presence in the sense that, you know, a demanding presence, but I think the boys like to play for me. And, uh, and like I said, I just want them to have fun and, and they seem to like enjoy uh, coming to the rink. So that's the way I try to coach. Um, you know, it's always difficult to emulate somebody else. Obviously, you take some some qualities of those people that uh, you're able to learn from and and make them mold it into your, your own personality. But I think when it comes down to coaching, you got to be who you are. And if, if you're trying to be somebody fake, the kids will see that right through, right away. All right, you got to suit up for a game real quick. Yeah. We got a tour of the room beforehand, the weight room. Great facility here in Flint. As the head coach, give me your elevator pitch to a recruit that you want to bring here. Why would they come to Flint play for the Firebirds? Win hockey games. <laughs> Sold. Well, I guess when you ask for an elevator pitch, coach gets right to the point. I love it. That was a lot of fun chatting with Eric Wellwood before that game in Flint last weekend. I just wanted to know when he and his brother Kyle and his parents and the rest of his family are sitting in that bar in Tecumseh having a beer and somebody walks in and goes, hey, Welly, how many people turn around? <laughs> because it's the typical nickname for Wellwood. Right? Sure. And they're all yeah. na- nicknamed Welly, I'm sure. Or maybe Kyle's nickname is Woody. And then there's Welly and Woody. I don't know. But I, th- I think Welly's just so easy, and then everybody's just going to turn around. But really nice of uh, Eric to give us the time. And as I said, three-time Memorial Cup winner, went up the ranks, has proved everybody wrong from the time he was in the Ontario Hockey League, um, makes his way to Philadelphia. Obviously, if you want to know more about that injury, just Google it. It was a... It's gross. Not only a career ending, it was a life-threatening injury. Um, he almost lost his life after playing a game of hockey. Uh, so it, it's a crazy story to hear, um, but it's great to see a guy like that that is willing to put in the work. And you can tell he has the passion for the game and the passion for succeeding to, to get into an opportunity in Flint and turn that franchise around the way he has. Loved the story about how he became an assistant coach under DJ Smith, too. That's where he won a Memorial Cup as a coach. The two victories on the ice were with the Windsor Spitfires, and we were just talking about Nick Malik and the Sioux Greyhounds, the new goaltender there, before we played that Eric Wellwood interview. And there's a connection between Windsor and Sault Ste. Marie and goaltenders. And it's back in the four because Kyle Dubas, now the general manager, of course, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, just made a trade to acquire Air Native, Kyle Clifford, welcome back to Waterloo Region, Mr. Clifford, or at least nearby as he goes to the Leafs, but Jack Campbell. And as soon as I saw the name, I thought, oh my gosh, is is Kyle Dubas really doing this? Kyle Dubas, when he was the young upstart general manager with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, made a trade with the Windsor Spitfires. This goes back to the late fall of 2011. And like I said, Dubas was kind of the the next coming of general managers in this league. He was one of the first guys to really adopt analytics, et cetera. And, and he made one of the first that I can remember of the real mega deals when he made a trade with Windsor to acquire a goaltender by the name of Jack Campbell. And he parted with some serious assets, Mackenzie Braid and Patrick Siloff, two players go to Windsor and six draft picks, four seconds and two thirds got sent to the Windsor Spitfire. So an eight piece package goes to Windsor back to the Sioux, Jack Campbell. That was the big trade that Kyle Dubas made for his team that was fighting for a playoff spot. 
And lo and behold, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds that year, 2011-12, missed the playoffs. Kyle Dubas yeah. is doing a little dance with the devil. I couldn't help but chuckle when I saw the news come down last night. Do you think he was a little gun-shy because of that? I think he loves Jack Campbell. I think <laughs> the beginning and end of the story. Well, he obviously, it, it's not only Jack Campbell that he loves. Um, he also loves Kyle Clifford, considering sure. when Kyle Dubas was an agent, his first client was Kyle Clifford. Which I what think I love about this. It's a great story. It is. And listen, if the Leafs don't make the playoffs this year, it is an absolute disaster for the franchise. But Kyle Dubas is clearly doing it Kyle Dubas's way. And I got to admire that. I like it. And he, at least he's going, he knew there needed to be a change, obviously. And he's ready to at least dance with the devil that he knows and not the one he doesn't know. Right? Okay. He, he knows Cliff he, uh, from air. He, he knows um, Jack from his time in Sault Ste. Marie. And quite frankly, he was trading for Jack Campbell um, to be their starter. And he's trading for Jack Campbell right now to be a stopgap and a backup for when their goaltender is injured. Let's, let's call a spade. He's just there because Michael Hodgson just can't get it done right now. That's true. Okay, let's continue this goaltending theme for just a second because they're wrapping up practice here in Sudbury, and that means it's almost time for me to get back on the bus and yep. make our way back home. But a lot of the buzz – well, let me just ask, ask you this way. Did you ever get in a fight? You, you played goal. Did you ever get in a goalie fight? Uh, I did not. It, it was close a couple times. I'll tell you qu- two quick stories. Uh, minor hockey, I was a bit of a hothead, let's say. Um, and one game on the ride home, I think we were up in, um, we were in either King Carden or Wingham. I think it was Wingham. Uh, my father reached into the back seat and grabbed me and said, if you ever pull that expletive again, you're never playing hockey. So at that point, <laughs> I realized uh, maybe I should calm things down again. Um, and then in junior, I always, he said, you can fight when you make it to junior. So in my fourth year junior as a backup, uh, we were heading into the final game of the season against the team we were going to play in the playoffs. It was two versus three in the playoffs. Uh, and there was a heated rivalry throughout the year. A lot of fights. We did not like each other. So I told my starter, who was a good friend of mine, I said, I'm going tonight. I've always wanted to be in a goalie fight. Um, I'm going tonight. It's my last junior game. I know I'm not playing in the playoffs. I'm going. He says to me, if you go, I'm going. I'm like, no, you're not. So sure as heck, don't remember what period it was in. I think it might have been the third. Our tough guy and their tough guy go at it in the corner and turns into be a bit of a line scuffle. And I skate out to the neutral zone, and I start clapping my stick for their goalie to come down. Excuse me. I'm like, let's go. And then I see my starter and our best player in my mind lean over the bench and start screaming at the other team's backup who's on the bench. And he's like, I can't remember the guy's name. He's like, hey, Farwell, Farwell, if they go, we're going. And I'm like, <laughs> he, he's serious. <laughs> he's serious. Coach had him on the, by the back of the jersey and he's leaning over full upper body over the boards just screaming at this guy. And he was, we were so tight that he thought, if, he's, if you're getting in a fight, I'm getting in a fight. And he was willing to hop the boards and go pull the backup goalie off the bench to fight him, which would have taken us both out of the lineup for the playoffs and would have knocked us out. So I decided against it. So no. 
goaltending fights uh, making the news in the last little bit because Cam Talbot and Mike Smith, the Battle of Alberta and the National Hockey League is back in fine form. I got to say, uh, I find it incredibly amusing when goalies start to fight because I, I can only imagine what it's like in all of that gear, and that's not something that they do at all, at least not all that often. No, and that's what makes it so awesome. And, and you, well, you could even hear Cam Talbot talk about it. He's like, he knew he was who he was fighting. Cam Talbot's not the toughest guy in the world. Speaking of Cam Talbot, and I both played for the same junior C team. Uh, Cam Talbot, how'd had, that work out for Cam? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Not so much for me, to say the least. Uh, or I shouldn't say same team, same league. Uh, Cam play is from the same city that I played in. Uh, regardless, it, he's done a lot more with his hockey career in Caledonia than I ever did, um, obviously. But he, in talking with him and, and hearing those interviews, you could tell he was like, yeah, I've just always wanted to be in one. <laughs> Eventually, there's those opportunities where you're like, I like the other guy at the end. Or the guy at the other end might put a whooping on me because he's Mike Smith and he's huge. And when you're bigger than Cam, Cam Talbot, that says a lot. Um, but... He was just like, I've always wanted to be in one, so I went and gotten one. You can chalk it off the list. It's not something where you're like, I hate that guy most of the time. Um, but it, it really is something fun to see. Well, all this talk about goalie fights reminded us of a previous episode of the Farwell and Pulp podcast, relatively recent, when we spoke with the now general manager of the North Bay Battalion, who, when he was in the Ontario Hockey League, had a very memorable fight with an opposition goaltender, and it's the second goalie fight <laughs> that becomes the funniest story of the two that Adam Dennis shared with us when he joined an earlier episode of the podcast. When I say Justin Peters, what comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever sees the other fight that I had. Oh, <laughs> there were more? <laughs> yeah, no, you know what's funny? is uh, um, Justin Peters actually is a guy that I, I would consider a friend. We played against each other a long time. Um, worked out with him in the summer, so knew what I was getting myself into. Um, funny story about that game is we were, we were actually losing 3 nothing, and it's in London. And the way that whole thing started was the backup goalie on uh, Plymouth, I believe, last week, Garay, G-A-R-A-Y. Um, he kind of started the whole thing where he, he picked up Josh Bullyu's elbow pad. Bullyu got into it with him. So I'm thinking, okay, backup's getting tossed. Peters has a shutout. Like, they're going to have to put a defenseman in that. There's another game, a <laughs> period and a half to go. You're the consummate team guy, Denny. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time to think about the story. Um, but I asked him at first, and he's like, no, i got to shut out. So I just, you know, I, I figured I had to get him to do something. So I took my helmet off in London, and I, I just spun it at center ice. <laughs> and then the crowd started to go, and I saw his take his helmet off and he wasn't impressed so i knew it wasn't going to be a fun <laughs> little while after that but moral of the story their backup goalie didn't get tossed and we ended up losing three nothing so um, <laughs> all for nothing <laughs> okay okay but now tell us the other one uh the other one was actually when i first got traded to london um it was against peterborough against jeff mcdougall and it was another line brawl my pretty much my first ever fight um, and I thought that I was tough at that point. But then <laughs> you go into the, uh, uh, we were at the OHL Awards, and I saw Jeff there. 
and then they start to hand out the awards and and they start talking about this one guy who's been reading the sick kids all year and going into schools so he was humanitarian in <laughs> <of> the year so <laughs> feel so tough after that <laughs> oh that's a tough one <laughs> great clip from denny as usual he's one of the uh i i love catching up with him whenever i see him at a rink yeah, I really enjoyed that chat, and he was just so forthcoming and casual about it. I'm looking forward to talking to him uh, for the next number of years in this league before he goes on to the next level. Can't wait. Uh, speaking of going off to the next level, are you ready to travel down a few levels of our wonderful province here and get home? I hear that the weather back there is actually it's a kind of a, a, a crisp, cold day here in Sudbury, but clear. Uh, I hear we're coming into some weather coming back home, but I'll be honest with you, three days away to play one game, I am more than ready to uh, open a wobbly pop of my own out of the beer fridge tonight when I get back home to Kitchener. I don't blame you. Snowy down here, lots of snow on the ground. The weather's not too bad itself, just lots of snow uh, already here. Uh, considering you're up in Sudbury, as we talked about, home of Letter Kenny, I'll tell you to pitter-patter. I'm actually in that, yeah, I'm in that arena right now. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I'll tell you to pitter-patter so you can get back to Chorn. I'm actually looking forward to seeing you. I don't know why, but we'll be back at it for uh, Rangers and Steelheads on Friday night at the Odd in Kitchener, and I think the Rangers will be looking for a little bit of revenge after they coughed up a lead in Saga a couple weeks ago. Can't wait, buddy. Travel safe. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you on Friday night. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope, and that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Ninja Dust. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.